Good morning, Father. Good morning, John Ray. So, I mean, you're back from playing around for a week. Playing around in, in Houston. Uh, and then kind of so is everyone else. I just finished a car drop-off line. It's, uh, you know, everyone's back from their spring break. Uh, whatever that looked like, whether it was vegging at the house or they went somewhere. Somebody asked me once uh, years ago when I was first at St. Pius, why do y'all close the Adoration Chapel down for a week after Easter and Christmas? So, well, I mean, Jesus got to go skiing into Disney too. <laughs> yeah, ski, skiing, going to Disney. One girl told me, said, Father, we went to Arizona. And I was like, wow. Say, yeah. That's a city. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, oh, thank you. Good job. At least we're <laughs> so educating. Them. Jesus was in the city. Yeah. Of Arizona. <laughs> Have you been to Arizona? Nope. Ooh, you shouldn't go in June or July. It's it's hot. Yeah. The dry heat. It's a dry heat. A priest once started his homily at a Catholic youth ministry convention that Life Team puts on, um, talking about how hot it was in Arizona. And he said, I know, I know. It's a dry heat, Father. He said, so is hell. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, I had a friend of mine who was living in Arizona and he explained it to, to me because I mean, he grew up in, in Scott with me and he said he get, he would get out of the pool and before he would get to his towel, he was dry. It was, um, so I would go every summer for, for, for this convention. Right. And they would have misters, um, to cool the air. I'm like, you see guys, humidity is a real thing. Like it's supposed to be around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe not like the humidity. Not like how we have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but we don't have to worry about that today. It's a cool day today. It's a cool, breezy day. Beautiful day. We just had our uh, our uh, parish picnic, mm-hmm. and it was a huge hit. It was. It was a great. We had a, a number of people. I don't know how many people, but uh, a lot of fun events in the back of the school playground and. What really stood out to me is that people stayed for like three hours. I know. It was, and people didn't start to leave till like two and a half, three hours in. I know. And, I was ready to take the, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but that showed like they were having fun. They could have left at any time, but they were having fun uh, and they wanted to stay, stick around. And so it was such a huge uh, joy. Shout out to Michael Hare and the Casey's. Just uh, they did a phenomenal job of organizing that with the help of the Mother's Ministry and everybody else that got involved. Yeah, and for any of our listeners, this is a quick plug. Uh, our Knights of Columbus here at St. Pius is one of the most active uh, nights I've ever seen in my in my life. Right, yeah. and I've been to multiple parishes inside our diocese and outside our diocese. They do a lot of things, and it helps me and Father Brady's mission so much mm-hmm. um well and, and the medium age has uh has drastically decreased over the last couple of years a lot of young younger guys and i say that mm-hmm. you know like my age ish right um not that i'm young but i'm not old either yeah the we have a we definitely have a younger uh casey's which i mean which is awesome because our older members have the knowledge of what works and what doesn't work and our younger members have the energy to kind of help implement yeah. some of those visions. And so it is a great balance. And I love our nights. They're, they're incredible. So if you, if you are a guy in our parish and you're wondering how you could help out, honestly, the Knights of Columbus, they do a ton. Mm-hmm. And that would be a great outlet. Yeah, no, 100%. So 
thank you to the KCs and 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 everybody involved, the Mother's Ministry and everybody involved in putting on the picnic this last weekend. So we've had a couple of things that have happened since uh, we last recorded. Okay. Uh, I mean, like a pretty big one. Like oh, Easter. Yeah, Jesus there we rose go. from the dead. That guy, he came out the tomb. Man, and he came out like that. <laughs> they uh, they said, "Where you at?" And they couldn't. <laughs> the night, the uh, the guards took him. So um, yeah, we had the triduum. It was the beautiful. Triduum was beautiful. Let's talk a little bit. I mean, we got some things to talk about, but just one of the things that I love about the triduum that we didn't get to talk about is that I mean, like it's a three day liturgy. Mm-hmm. Like it starts with the opening prayer, the Lord's Supper's Mass on Holy Thursday. And it doesn't end until the final blessing at the Easter Vigil. Yes. And uh, just kind of from a personal viewpoint, like I, this was the first year that I celebrated the, the Triduum mm-hmm. as a priest. And in fact. Which is pretty cool because usually as a parochial vicar, you don't you get never that do. opportunity. You never do. And look, I know several priests that have been ordained much longer than me, uh, six, seven years. And they haven't celebrated the Triduum yet. And so I'm a year and a half in. And I celebrated the Triduum at a huge parish. Um, had about, I would say probably about 700, 800 people for a Holy Thursday. Had about 900 or so people for a Good Friday. And uh, had about 700, 800 people for the Easter Vigil. Yeah, it was a, it was a great turnout. Great turnout. Beautiful event. And look, for our listeners, we have this Easter candle this big Paschal candle. Yeah, I got an email about that uh, or a Facebook message. Somebody was concerned because it was burning one day like, and mass wasn't going on. Oh, yeah. Did we do that intentionally? Yes. Okay. Because I didn't want to say what the tradition was if that was an accident. Yes. No, no. It was, uh, yes, especially during the octave. Yes. During the octave, we kept it burning the whole time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why do we do that? Uh, because, well, one, the octave is kind of the whole thing as a solemnity. Octave means eight mm-hmm. for our listeners. It's the eight days of celebration after Easter. We have two octaves uh, right now for Christmas and for Easter. We used to have three in the old liturgical calendar. Pentecost mm-hmm. was the third one. Uh, but after the second reforms of the Second Vatican Council with the liturgy, uh, they took out uh, the the octave for Pentecost, uh, St. Paul, the, it was Paul the sixth. I think it was, uh, he's now I will get to that later. <laughs> what he said after he realized that, um, but so our octave means eight days after eight day celebration, we kept it burning during those eight days because it's a solemnity the entire time. Uh, that's what I explained to this person when they sent the message. Yeah. So hoping that I was right. And that the Sacristan just hadn't. Yeah. Because I think that this may be the first year we've we've done that here, and we were able to do it because we got a bigger candle. We candle got a bigger year. candle. Yeah. So uh, I reached out to a lady uh, in another state who actually paints and pour what we call pours uh, the candles, mm-hmm. right? Because that candle they don't you just don't go buy that thing. Yeah. You have to like have it specially made and and it's poured wax and everything. Well, in the, the vigil mass, we thank the bees for the wax. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean... And in fact, a lot of candles, I say a lot, some candles, you'll see bees painted on the, mm-hmm. on the uh, candle mm-hmm. because that's part of the prayer. Yep. And um, part of the old rite and stuff like that was, yeah. Uh, but if you look at our Paschal candle, which is right by the pulpit, 
it is specially painted for St. Pius. Our church is painted on it. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. That's our, cool. Our church, I had our church painted on it, and it came out beautifully. That's cool. Yeah. So if y'all if, if get a chance, y'all remember, go look at the Paschal Candle. About the poor, you had it specially commissioned so we could have our church painted on it. And it looks, it, it came out fantastic. Uh, it's a huge candle. Uh, so we have three days of liturgy that mm-hmm. lead up until Easter and then eight days of celebration following. That then continues for another 42 days until mm-hmm. Pentecost. Yes. And so the 50 days of Easter to show, to show us that we are an Easter people. We have 40 days of Lent, of repentance, sorrow for our sins, but then 50 days, more days, uh, to show our joy and our Lord's resurrection and defeat of sin over our lives. So we recognize the reality of sin, but we also recognize the greater reality of Christ's uh, defeat over, uh, Christ's victory over death. Yeah. So. So uh, we'll quickly walk through the Triduum and then fast forward to our topic. Uh, okay. Uh, Holy Thursday, we have the institution of the Eucharist and we have the washing of the feet. Yes. Right? So the uh, Holy Thursday begins with the Chrism Mass, which uh, the Chrism Mass happens at the cathedral where we get all of our oils for the day. And we especially thank the God. oil of catechumenate, the mm-hmm. oil of healing and the oil or the oil of the sick and the oil of chrism. Yes. Th- those are the oils that what we use the, for different the, sacraments. What's the oil of catechumenate for? Oil of catechumenate is to prepare the soul to receive the sacrament, right? For baptism, for confirmation. Okay. Right. Uh, oil of the sick is used for anointing of the sick. And then chrism is used for baptism, confirmation, and priesthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, chrism puts an indelible mark on the soul. And we'll get into what that means later on. Yeah, as we unpack the sacraments. And it has a great smell. Oh, it does. And so uh, Thursday is really, honestly, all about priest. Mm-hmm. I had a... Which inadvertently is all about service, right? Yeah. We celebrate the priesthood, the institution mm-hmm. of the priesthood. We celebrate the institution of the Eucharist. And we do that under the veil of the washing of the feet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the... I had multiple people reach out to me on Holy Thursday. That's kind of like when they do it, right? Multiple people on Holy Thursday, they reach out and they thank their priest for their priesthood. And it is beautiful because without the priest, there is no Eucharist. Correct. Uh, and so the morning is the mass where Christ instituted the priesthood. The second mass, Holy Thursday afternoon, right, which everyone's familiar with, is... Can I say something real quick about yeah. the... I've only been to the Chrism Mass a couple of times, primarily because it's on a Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. And secondarily, cause it's really hard to get into. I oh, mean, yeah. You got all the priests in the diocese typically there, and then everybody that wants to go as yeah. well. And it's a cathedral. So, um, but the cool thing for me is the scriptures became came alive that day. Um, I had been talking about confirmation, and you know, I've been prepping kids for the sacrament of confirmation for years. When they presented the oil and the bishop blesses all the oils, right? in the upper room, I think we just heard that gospel within the last week or so, um, where he breathes on them, right? Mm-hmm. Receive the Holy Spirit. When the bishop blesses the chrism oil, the oil that is going to anoint the next bishops and priests in the mm-hmm. church, um, he breathes on the oil. And that was just such a cool yep. moment for me because I watched, oh wait, he's passing that breath, that spirit into the oil that's going to, you know, so it made that like connection, especially with the sacrament that we're going to talk about today, 
go and forgive sin. Yeah, the uh, liturgy is where Scripture comes alive. Yeah. So the uh, the Holy Thursday Mass, where Christ instituted the Eucharist, um, that's where we celebrate. And so usually Holy Thursday is kind of unpacking the Eucharist. A Good Friday uh, is the only day of the entire year that a Mass is not celebrated uh, because we celebrate our Lord's Passion and death. And so it's actually traditionally called the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified. That hasn't been heard in a long time. Uh, the Pre-55 is what it was. That's a whole nother beast. Uh, <laughs> the very first liturgies that were reformed were the, uh, the, was the Triduum. And so the, the Triduum was reformed in the year 1955, whereas every other liturgy was uh, reformed after the Second Vatican Council in the 70s. Mm. And so the, uh, the old rite of the, the, the Triduum is actually the exact same as our rite. It's just all in Latin. Mm. Whereas the Mass of, the pre, uh, of pre-55, that's where it's very different, extraordinarily different, completely different. And uh, because that was the first time it was changed. And they called Good Friday the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified because they would consecrate enough host on Holy Thursday to distribute on Good Friday. We still do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We still do. And it's uh, because there's no Mass on Friday, but you still receive communion. Yeah. Uh, but the primary movement is toward the adoration of the cross. Yeah. Um, we recount uh, the Passion narrative again, like we did on Passion Sunday or Palm Sunday. Yeah, uh, we do Matthew, Mark, and Luke on those on that Sunday, but then on Friday it's always Saint John, mm. which is beautiful. Um, and then of course Saturday you have the Easter Vigil, which begins at nightfall. So for us it's eight p.m. because nightfall begins around seven thirty. So, um, and the length, the duration of it, this it changes. It depends on the on who's doing it, right? So the main so people will say, oh, I can't go to that mass. You know, it starts at midnight and it's, you know, three, four hours long. Uh, they could be right. Most of the time, it's, that's just a misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like, I definitely know religious orders that started at midnight, 100%. Now, most parishes do not, out of pastoral necessity, mm-hmm. right? So 100%, we could have started at midnight and it go for three hours. Um, but we would not have gotten such a good response from our parish yeah. in regards to our numbers. Now, so we started, like most parishes in our diocese, we start at 8, which is, is dark outside, mm-hmm. right? Which is what the rubrics require, uh, unless you're doing the pre-55, which begins uh, before nightfall, and it goes for much longer. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, so another thing that determines the time is the amount of readings, there are supposed to be, uh, the, the rubrics are pretty strong on this. It's actually the strongest language I've ever seen in the rubrics of the church. The uh, rubrics are the guidelines of how we celebrate liturgy and other things. You got it. Yep. Uh, and so if you're looking at the missal, right? The big red our, book that Father reads from yeah, on the altar. The, the book um, which has all the prayers and everything. Um, there's an, there's an old saying, do the red and say the black, right? So it. the rubrics are the red part that tells father how to, um, to, to, to do what he's to about do the liturgy mm-hmm. and then the black are the prayers that he prays. Yeah. For instance, a, a common example, 
when, when the priest at the beginning of Mass says, Let's, let us pray, and he opens his hands and he says that prayer, the prayer is in black. What he does is in red. So the, it will say, the, the red part will say, the priest says, let us pray, and opens his hands in the Oron's position and says the collect or the opening prayer, and then closes his hands and sits down. That's the red part. Yeah. Um, For well, the vigil mass, it goes into a lot more detail. Mm-hmm. The red part uh, says that, okay, you we're supposed to have eight Old Testament readings, uh, seven Old Testament readings, two New Testament readings, and, uh, and then the gospel. So 10 readings in all in all. Beautiful readings. And in fact, I tell people, if you ever want to know what the Bible says, and you look at that big book, and it's like, man, there ain't no way I can read that. A great introduction into the entire Bible is those 10 readings for the Easter Vigil. It is like a miracle to me that the church chose 10 readings and said, okay, this is all of what we believe in 10 readings. I remember uh, it, it was probably the last year that I was the youth minister at St. Peter's in Karenkra. Um, we had a big old football player, his name was Jesse, uh, who came through our CIA and was coming into the church. He was being baptized and everything. He was a senior in high school. Um, that Lent probably started a little bit before Lent. We did the great adventure, um, or mm-hmm. variation yeah, of Jeff the, Kate, Jeff yeah, Kate. it's a timeline of the old Testament where it follows literally Jesus the bloodline. So we're following salvation history up until Jesus. And so all these teens who had come through that timeline and who were friends with Jesse showed up at the vigil mass to support Jesse becoming Catholic and getting baptized. And at the end of mass, so many of them came up to me going, this is what we like. Mm -hmm. They were paying attention during the readings and they heard everything that we had just gone through. You know? And so the church says, okay, 10 readings all in all, but the amount of old Testament readings can be decreased by pastoral necessity. Right? So, the amount of readings can be decreased to where it's just five and not 10. Mm-hmm. There's uh, a couple of readings in there that have to happen. Yes. Yeah. And so um, with that, every reading, a song follows and then a prayer. The reading, a song, and a prayer. So you decrease the amount of readings, you decrease the amount of time. Also, we have what's called the exaltet, which is a long uh, hymn that the deacon sings or says um, and if he sing, there's a shorter version or a longer version. If the deacon sings it, it will naturally take longer. If he does the longer version, of course, it will be longer. Uh, and then just everything else in the Mass can be either said or sung. And so depending on what the celebrant chooses to sing or say, it can be longer or shorter. And so uh, during COVID, I remember our Easter vigil was like an hour long. Right, but that was during COVID, and there was no one there. Yeah, um, there's. I definitely know uh, Easter vigils to be an hour and a half long. I don't recommend that, you know, because the people that come to the Easter vigil are not there so they could get in and out real quick. Sure, they're there because they want to come to the Easter vigil. I know some Easter vigils that go for three hours. Hours went for what two hours? A little over two hours. I don't think it was quite two thirty. No, uh, but. We had the shortened readings. We, we did a lot of singing. We had 800 people in the church. So it was, it was a lot. And we had a lot of initiations. We mm-hmm. had 10 
Yeah, that um, is a big part. Ten of people it. that came through RCIA this year, three of which were baptized. Yeah, and then we had an infant baptism for mm-hmm. one of those, uh, one of the families who had come through RCIA. Um, and then you know, obviously, all ten. Um, the other seven were um, initiated into the church. They made a proclamation of faith, and then we confirmed all of them. They each received first Holy Communion, and we also had a fifth grader. Mm-hmm. We received First Holy Communion, same family of the infant baptism. Um, so we, I mean, we, we birthed some Catholics that night. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that part where we bring in people into the church, depending we lit on how a fire people, literally in the church. Yeah. At all. So there, there's multiple facts. There's a whole lot of movements in the Easter Vigil. Uh, and so a lot of that can determine how long it is, how short it is. Um, and then the start time, end time, that kind of, or the start time really kind of depends on the pastor and what time they start. Our, ours is at 8 p.m., like most churches. So for the most part, just for our listeners, uh, an Easter vigil, you can get in at 8 and leave by 10, right? I think that's a healthy yeah. guesstimation, right? So, and I tell people, like, if you've never been, what are you doing? Like, for the most part, people could be in bed by 10 p.m. on a Saturday night. Uh, but I mean, probably for the most part, people were like watching a movie or something. Yeah. Right. So it's come praise the Lord once a year. Right. So, and we've brought our children to it, um, since we've had children. So we brought infants to it. We've brought toddlers to it. Like, um, our two toddlers this year fell asleep right away. Um, and so, yeah, I saw her sleeping in your, uh, in your wife's arms. Fun little fact before we take a hard right turn. Um, if you go back and listen to the, audio or the video from the from the live stream of the easter vigil mass um there was a moment in the gathering area right before we lit that fire where i was kind of nervous because we were lighting a fire in the church and telling somebody to the right of me that man i hope this works out we have no idea what we're doing we think we know though um and and i'm talking like that turns out the microphone was on um (laughs) and so that must have been recorded and so i got a text from one of the people helping with the live stream saying hey mike's on (laughs) So that was echoing throughout the church. Yeah. That was beautiful. I didn't even know. Occasionally, you know, those our technology messes us up sometimes. <laughs> there we go. I'm glad I wasn't talking bad about father. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have noticed. I wouldn't have known until after, you know. So, so uh, this last Sunday was Divine Mercy. Divine Mercy Sunday. The second Sunday of Easter instituted. Well, I mean, uh, St. John Paul II kind of coined it Divine Mercy Sunday out of uh, reverence and respect for uh, St. Faustina, who was uh, a nun that came out of Poland, just like uh, St. John Paul II, had a deep impact on St. John Paul II, and she had a diary, right, of Jesus kind of talking with her about his mercy, right? So uh, he coined this Sunday, this past Sunday, Divine Mercy Sunday. And the gospel is actually the institution of the sacrament of confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, so me and Which Father... started our new series where throughout the Easter season, you and Father Brady are going to be talking about each one of the sacraments. Yes. And I, I propose to Father Brady we could go about it two ways. One, we talk about the sacraments as, they, as you go through it in life. So like, okay, we first do baptism, and then we do uh, confession, and then we do first communion, and then we... To kind of go about it like that, or unless, unless you follow original order, I mean, so there's just this whole debate, right? yeah. <laughs> and so that, but uh, or oh, I told him, I said, We I can look through the readings of the Sundays of Easter and see which sacraments go with which 
of the readings, and he, and we chose that second one. Yeah. And so the first one we did was confession. Now, every single sacrament, as the Council of Trent stated in uh, fifteen um, fifty one, maybe. Um, don't quote me on it, uh, said that each of the sacraments, all seven sacraments, were divinely instituted, directly instituted by Jesus Christ himself, right? There are not more, there are not less sacraments. Um, so this one was confession, where Jesus, after rising from the dead, that Easter Sunday afternoon appeared to his apostles he breathed on them and said, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. There's that breath that we were talking about at the Chrism Mass. Yeah. And, that, and so in my homily, I kind of gave, I, I think what I'm going to do with my homilies is, for, I, I'm going to break it up into thirds for my homilies. The first third, I'm going to say something general about the sacraments. So this one, I said, why do we even have sacraments? The next one is like, okay, why are there seven sacraments? And I, so each one of the homilies, I'm going to say something very general about the sacraments. The second, third, I'll go into where that sacrament is found in Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament roots. And then the last third, I'll say something about how it's practiced today. Like so I just tidbits of advice for the sacrament for today. That's how I decided to kind of go about it. Um, this one that I, I did this past weekend was my longest one that I believe. And it was, it was about 13, 14 minutes. So I was, but I kind of, I, I ran through it as a lot. Um, in regards to this one, why did Jesus institute the sacraments? It's called the divine economy. And an economy is an exchange of goods, right? So Jesus has all the goods and we need them, right? He won this big bank of uh, grace for us. And for me to go to Walmart to buy some stuff, I need to go to the bank. Uh, and how do I withdraw this money, this grace from the bank? The sacraments, right? Every grace that Christ won for us is not automatically implanted within my soul, right? Because then we would just be immediately raptured up and sent into heaven. Mm. So we we gradually grow in holiness. Everyone recognizes this. Well, uh, Sherry Waddell talks about um, in one of her books, grace is grace and not magic, right? Mm -hmm. So I can come to the sacraments and come to the well, but if I never allow the, the grace to quench the thirst in me, if I never cooperate with that grace, well, then it's just hanging around. I got to actually pray for its unleashing in my life, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how does, how do I get access to this grace? Mm -hmm. The sacraments, the nickname for the sacraments, from uh, as far as I could tell, or are uh, channels of divine grace. Uh, I don't know who is the first person to coin it, and I don't want to say a name without knowing. Uh, but pretty early on, channels of divine grace. The first person that I've ever heard say it was Father Poirier today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's that's definitely. I didn't coin. I didn't start it. <laughs> um. Channels of divine grace, that's how God communicates the grace he won for us on the cross. Now, why did he choose the sacraments? Well, look, the first reason, quite frankly, is because he wanted to. Uh, that's, the, that's the way he decided it. If he wanted to communicate 
this grace to us by raining unicorns from the sky, and we had to obtain a, a unicorn horn. And every time we did, we got saving grace. Well, look, that's what we're going to do. But Jesus, God, decided to institute the sacraments, these channels of divine grace that use both matter to communicate a spiritual reality. All of human history is full of this in regards to both matter, uh, physical and spiritual. To com- so God, who is not physical, became physical to communicate a spiritual reality. The incarnation is the main thing we have in regards to the defense of the sacraments. God always uses physical realities to communicate an invisible reality. Mm-hmm. And so that's the sacraments. Sacraments communicate, they give divine grace. God chose the sacraments, the seven sacraments. That's kind of a, a little brief overflow of why the sacraments at all. Because God has all the grace and we need to get it. And so how do we get it? He chose these ways for us to get it. That's the main, that's the main, in a nutshell. And so there's a hard push to go back to public confessions. Oh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> we were talking beforehand, and we were saying, what are we going to talk about? And I said, uh, one thing I'm not prepared to talk about, but, you know, I could talk about how I don't know it. Uh, that, so Christ instituted all seven of the sacraments. Um, there's not a hard push for public confessions, by n- the way, just in case you yeah. just checked out. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so Christ instituted all seven of the sacraments, but he left how they were to be practiced to the church, right? So, for instance, since we brought up confession, confession has changed probably more than any of the other sacraments because uh, just how it was developed. So, yeah, private confessions, yeah, that was always around, but then it kind of got to where they were public confessions where people would confess publicly in the town square and that's why people would only confess once in their life and it would be like right before they die and people would also wait for their baptism because baptism removes sins and so people would often try to wait until right before they die so that they can be baptized um now what's the irish monks monks in ireland uh changed that out of a pastoral need they saw that private confessions were more conducive for people, go figure, and that it would help them receive the sacrament of mercy more than just once in their life uh, due to embarrassment and help in regards to baptisms so that people weren't waiting on their deathbed to receive the sacrament of baptism. Um, I say I'm not prepared to talk about it because I don't know all the ins and outs of it and... Uh, I can figure. I can find out. Uh, and so, with the sacrament, we can talk of, about it in another episode. <laughs> if people really want, I can. Uh, and so, the sacrament of confession in our gospel, it's well for in the Old Testament, it establishes the foundation, the reality that objective sin exists, right and wrong exist, that sins exist, and Forgiveness of sins exist. Also, unforgivable sins. Even in the book of Numbers, I think it's chapter 22, maybe. Uh, in the book of Numbers, it establishes a liturgical right on how to forgive sins. Now, St. John in the New Testament, 
uh, in First John chapter three, maybe. Um, in First John, he says that there are so there are sins, small sins, uh, that can be forgiven through prayer, personal prayer. But there are other sins, deadly sins, that cannot be forgiven through prayer. And he says, of these, I tell you, do not pray. What he's saying is, by venial sins, people, yeah, all the time they say, like, I do my act of contrition every night, Father, I'm all good. Uh, me and God, we're close, we're tight, two peas in a pod, we talk and he forgives my sins. That's beautiful. And that actually is a thing for venial sins. But for mortal sins, deadly sins, big sins, that's not a thing. We need something more than personal prayer. St. John was clear on that. Christ, in our gospel, institutes the sacrament of confession, where he breathes into the apostles and then tells them whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Only twice in sacred scripture does God breathe into a human being. In the creation account of Adam, where he breathes the soul into him, and then also when Jesus breathes on his, into his apostles. And it's interesting that the word that they use in the original translation of the text, at least I've been told, um, is ruha, which means spirit, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, and so he's literally putting his spirit into Adam, and he's putting his spirit into the apostles and giving them the authority to do this thing that he's commanding them to do, really. Yeah, and look, let's, let, me, let me push back on it, on this idea. I was like, well, Father, uh, you know, he was saying, like, everyone, you have to, everyone can forgive sins, and, like, if we have to forgive everyone, and if we don't, then we hope. I said, no, that's, just play that out, because that sounds ridiculous. Jesus says to the apostles, not to, not to all of his followers, but his apostles, not even to his mom. He says, whose sins you forgive or forgive, whose sins you retain are retained. So you're telling me, let's say I'm uh, some guy and uh, I don't forgive my mother-in-law. Does that mean she's not going to heaven? Or let's say my mother, my, uh, you know, my sister doesn't forgive me. Does that mean I'm going to hell? No. God has given that power directly to the apostles and to the, the successors of the apostles. And he breathed his spirit into them so that forgiveness can continue. Why? Because sin continues. I thought it was interesting yesterday. I mean, I knew this, but it was, it was cool to hear Father Brady talk about it. I was at 1030 Mass. That um, your priesthood doesn't give you the ability to forgive sins, right? Because the bishop, who mm -hmm. is the successor of the apostles, right? So every bishop is the apostle that we have. The bishop has the authority to forgive sins. It was the bishops that Jesus breathed on, right? Yes. And then the bishop extends that faculty yes. to you as the priest mm -hmm. because of congregation size. Your yes. office is necessary because the population growth got too big for the bishop to be able to take care of everyone. Yes. And, and that's, yeah. Like, so for instance, right now, the bishop can remove my faculty, my ability to hear confessions. He could, could he remove your faculty to hear confessions, but not remove your faculty to celebrate mass? Yes. Or vice versa. In fact, in the, in the church, that was like, in, back when there was a lot of priests, that was actually a common practice. 
that priests for the first few years of their ordination would not hear confessions mm. because it's such a sensitive thing that they would let the priest mature before he hears confessions Interesting. and get more familiar with moral theology and the situations at hand. That's kind of cool. Well, it, 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 it was a grace period because, you know, some people, they may think like, no, you just go to confession, you confess your sins, right? Well, it's, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Like deep knowledge of moral theology require, is required. Like often I, ha- I, reach, I have to reach out to the process for like reaching out in regards to health and moral theology. I reach out to a moral theologian priest that I know and outside of our diocese. And I say, hey, can I run a, 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 a hypothetical by you? You know, and I'll, and I'll say like a hypothetical situation. And they say, well, you know, in regards to that, you do this or do that. And, you know, here's a repercussion of this and that. Um, and they kind of give me guidance with that. Um, but back in the early church, or I say early church, not that long ago, when priests were abundant, priests for the first few years of their priesthood didn't hear confessions mm. uh, to, out of a grace period for them. Um, so, but that's not the case anymore because there's not as many priests. I also find it interesting. Um that there, there are a few guys that I know that have, were ordained priests who are no longer priests today. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, between them and the bishop, um, you know, um, the bishop went through the process of... Uh, uh, Laicization? That, yeah, I can't say that word. Um, mm-hmm. But I find it quite interesting that um, in dire circumstance, in the event somebody is dying, they still have the ability oh, yeah. to forgive sin. That's uh, right. like it, it tells me how important the sacrament of a confession is. Right? That goes to what we'll go into later, the indelible mark on the soul. Yeah. Once you're a priest, you're a priest forever. Yeah. There is no such thing as you're no longer a priest. So what, these, these guys, so that you're not confused, these guys no longer have the faculty that was given yes. to them by the They're bishop, no longer right? called father. They could, they, they, could, they could get married. They've gone yes. through the process of becoming a lay person again. Mm-hmm. See, I don't have to say the big word. Yeah. I just defined mm-hmm. it. <laughs> um, and, and, the bishop still says, hey, look, in dire need, you drive up to an accident. Somebody's dying. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to hear their confession and forgive their sins. Yes. Uh, all for the salvation of souls. That's kind of the church's last law. And in, in the book of canon law, the church will say, like in it, it says, like, all these laws are good and holy. It said, but let it be known. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Let it be known. Anything goes to save a soul. Mm. And so, of course, when I say anything goes, you can never justify intrinsically evil acts or anything like that. But just like that, right? So you're not a priest anymore, unless it's to save a soul. If it's to save a soul, but you got to do it, you know, yeah. because we're talking about saving souls. Yeah. And that's the ultimate purpose of everything we do. And that is the purpose of confession, mm-hmm. right? To save our souls. It's not to shame us. It's not to make us feel there's probably some humility to it, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it is so that we know that we have been forgiven and so that we channel the grace through that sacrament to overcome sin in our life. Yeah. And then my last part for confession, I talked about like uh, popular fears and how to overcome them uh, for confession. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but I won't go into all the ones I went into, right? Because I went to a number of them. If you want to know all of them, go and listen to Father's homily. Yeah. It's on our uh, Spotify channel. But let me, let me go into one that I actually didn't talk about in my homily uh, due to time. 
um, let's take away the God aspect of confession. Crazy as that sound. People have a problem with confession. I'll go straight to God, you know, all this. Um, let's take God out of it. And let's see who has a problem with confession. So let me explain what confession is without God. Someone struggles with a problem, a habitual problem, and they can't seem to shake it. They have, they've tried on their own and it's failed multiple times. In fact, some might even consider it an addiction, whatever it is. That person needs help. They, need, they, they want to seek help. Uh, they're embarrassed about it. Um, and so they go to seek help. They go to seek help from a person that's actually free of charge. They don't have to pay for this. Not like a therapist where they have to pay hundreds of dollars an hour. So this person that they go see that's free of charge has one single purpose is to help them. That they go and see this person and they know de facto that this, the only reason why this person is seeing them is not for some ulterior motive, but so that they can get better, that they can walk through this together and get better. And they also know without a shadow of a doubt that this person will never say anything about what is brought up. In fact, they know that that person will die before something is ever said. Mm. Now, how does that sound? It sounds pretty like, yeah, oh, that sounds incredible. Well, and look, I mean, let's just be honest. We all do it, right? Like, I'm struggling with something, whether I'm going to go to a therapist or I'm going to go to confession or I'm, I'm talking to somebody about it. I'm not just holding it in. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that I'm talking to. Heck, some of us are stupid enough to post it on social media, right? Mm-hmm. We, because we have this innate desire to seek the confidence and the, um, the, the, uh, the assistance. advice of others, right? Mm-hmm. The assistance. Yeah. I took God out of confession, and it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. People have a problem when God enters the... God enters it, which is ironic because people since the beginning of Adam and Eve had had a problem with allowing God into their mess. Adam and Eve hid after they, after they messed up. Confession, people should feel very at home in confession. In fact, this is, confession is your home base. If you're a Catholic, you should feel actually very at home in confession. This is this is where this is where you come. Mm. This is this is you should feel very relaxed in confession. Yeah. Um confession's actually natural. It's just that people get nervous because God's now touching their sin. But God has tried to communicate throughout human history that we shouldn't be afraid of that. That we should actually welcome that. And the Catholic should should be very okay with that. Uh, so, yeah. So we have confessions here at St. Pius uh, several times a week, every morning before the 6 a.m. Mass, every day before the noon Mass, on Saturdays for about an hour and a half, um, and on Saturday mornings before the 7.30 a.m. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession, or maybe, maybe you've never been to confession, 
confession. It's since your first confession, right? Um, go and check out the schedule on our website and our bulletin. Um, pick a time and come and sit and chat with Father. And if none of those schedules work out for you, email Father and we can set up, or he can set up, not we. I'm mm-hmm. not part of that. Um, I can hear him. I just can't absolve yeah, can't, him. Yeah, so, can't do nothing about him. So then I have to charge you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so um, it is all about your healing and about the grace for us to have the ability to overcome sin in our life. Mm-hmm. It's a great episode. Yeah. Episode 61. 61. The first sacrament down, we have six more. Well, and six plus one is seven. So there you go. (laughs) Wow. There we go. So if you've enjoyed this episode, we want to encourage you to share it uh, with your friends and family members. Um, Like us and follow us on your podcast. Listen to us. We look forward to seeing you other people. God bless.